Welcome to Market Corner Conversations, sponsored by Foresight Health. This is where outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Market Corner Conversations is Foresight Health's regular podcast series. It explores the intricacies of market-driven health reform. We dig deep into the U.S. system's structural inefficiencies. We explain how its artificial economics and distorted business models rob the American people of the great health care they deserve. We identify and talk with innovative companies that are reinventing healthcare delivery by being better, faster, cheaper, and more customer-friendly. We have a great program today with Mudit Garg, uh, a founder and the CEO of Qventus. And if you haven't heard of Qventus, you will shortly. It's one of this new breed of companies that's using predictive analytics to push decision-making forward into frontline caregivers and give them the tools and information they need to make better, faster, and smarter decisions in real time. Better care for patients, more efficient delivery, fewer errors, wonderful all the way around. So, mute it. Welcome to Market Corner Conversations. Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks for the uh, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Um, let's uh, before we we jump into Qventus, why don't we talk a little bit about you and where you developed your interest in healthcare and how you came to focus on the the types of problems real operational problems you're trying to solve today. Just give us the the short, big-picture story of, of Mudit Garg. Yeah. Um, my, my interest in healthcare in some ways was accidental. I had um, uh, I hadn't, um, I'd grown up in India, had um, seen healthcare in a very different way than the healthcare system that exists here. My fourth meaningful work in healthcare now was probably, what, 10, 11 years ago, I was working with, with health systems, helping them improve operations when I was at McKinsey and Company's healthcare practice. And you know, the first healthcare hospital system that I worked in, I was just amazed. I was amazed by a few things. One, on the good side, I was amazed by we us having access to the best clinicians, some of the best equipment, therapies in every health system, in every hospital. And that was amazing because that's not what I had seen before. But I was also amazed that how much of taking advantage of those world-class um, doctors, world-class therapies and equipment depended on really operations that weren't reliable at all. They depended on heroic efforts from some manager to figure out what was going to happen. And so much of the potential of those resources was left behind because these managers were really, really, really busy. I remember like the first place I walked in, I was just shocked by the chaos, by the inefficiency, by the fact that uh, on the days that the really good manager was there and had the time and energy to look ahead and anticipate things were going to get bad and put in place some corrective measures, stuff worked great. We had better quality, we had better cost, we had better access. We hadn't changed anything else. It was the same equipment, same therapy, same doctors. But it was, it was hard to do that reliably and consistently. And um, being an engineer and being um, really always fascinated by process and the implications of doing things reliably, it just drew me in to try and figure out a way we can make it easier for those excellent managers to do what they do best day in, day out, without it taking heroic effort. You know, there's this this concept of bandwidth um, uh, that uh, psychologists and, and social scientists talk about, uh, uh, sort of a classic example of, of as it has to deal with poor people is uh, 
one of the reasons that people take out payday loans with um, usurious interest rates is because they have to pay the mortgage and that's all they can focus on. So um, a, an equivalent, in just listening to your description there, is uh, the bandwidth limitations that come with being under time pressure consistently and being really in front of the fire all the time. Maybe you could maybe you could talk to us a little bit about what it's like uh, for nurses uh, at a care station as they're shuttling back and forth doing retrospective data queries and, and simultaneously trying to respond to patient needs and often having to use manual systems to overcome really cumbersome electronic medical records and so on. But the, within the context of this bandwidth of, of uh, uh, how stretched they are and how limiting it becomes to do these vital tasks we, we ask them to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I often talk about the cognitive overload that that um, our staff face, and I think it's very much in line with the bandwidth point you're making. Um, and in fact, like one of the nurses often talked to me about the fact that she said, if I was driving and while driving, I had to hold up a paper map and have the radio on and be listening to the radio that says, hey, highway I-5 is really busy, and be charting my alternative course and doing all that while I'm driving, which, you know, driving places a lot of cognitive load in just doing the driving, that'd be impossible. I'd be having a ton of accidents. I'll definitely not be taking the best route and it'd be really unsafe to sit in that car. But yet, yet like, I have more cognitive load when I do my day-to-day tasks as a, as a nurse manager, as a nurse. But we expect all of this to be happening, um, all this optimization to be happening at the same time. So that's a really, really hard place to be and that's, that's why we see so many sort of small little decisions that go fast um, and don't end up falling the way you want them to, um, leading to the ba- bad inefficiency, to the poor quality. So I'll give you an example. Like oftentimes in an emergency department, there will be a charge nurse. And charge nurses are typically um, there specifically to keep a pulse of the whole department and to keep an eye on what's going on. But very often they are caught in a situation where let's say there is no one to draw blood and their fellow nurse is really struggling to keep up with the three really sick patients they recently got. And their instinct in that situation, much like you were describing in face of that fire constantly, is I'm going to jump in and draw the blood. But what you lose in that situation is an ability to realize that, boy, two patients just walked in who are pretty sick. ICU is backed up. You know, Dr. Smith's working, he tends to order more labs. We're going to be in a really bad situation two hours from now. And I really need to help my the rest of the team by focusing on what needs to be done right now so two hours from now we're not in a bad situation. Mm. And like, because you, you have so much right in front of you and it's impossible to go track down all these data points and then process them and then think about, so what can I do and what should I do and how do I bring the whole group together that can take some action? That, that's asking a lot. Those things don't end up taking place. And that's really was the foundational belief for us in our product is how do we not only process the context that exists, realize that it's Monday after Thanksgiving. It's really cold outside. You know, Dr. Smith's working. He orders more labs. Labs are slow right now. We're going to be running out of capacity in the next two hours. Doing all that processing in the background constantly, much like your GPS mic while you're driving. So you're not constantly having to look and listen to the radio and figure out what's busy and what's not. 
and then say, what can I do? I can uh, have this lab person reassigned here. I can um, talk to the lab manager about prioritizing our labs. Whatever else it might be, what are the things I can do? What's the cost benefit of those? And then doing all of that cognitive load in the background and then coming to you very simply with, hey, turn right. We've looked at all the things. That's the safest, best thing to do. And if you have more context that we don't and you want to go straight, we'll learn from that and we'll keep learning from that. And I think the biggest benefit of that is two things. It creates highly, highly reliable systems, regardless of how good the manager is or how good the person is, how, what their frame of mind is and how much they have in, in front of them. You'll have a similar way of reacting to situations. But then more importantly, it reduces this mental burnout that all the staff face after being in the fire, as you were talking about, day in, day out. Yeah, I, I I liked your description of the charge nurse with the uh, with with the maps and um, you know trying to filter in information in the street and the map while while driving, uh, and of course we now have uh, self driving cars which um, can talk to one another, uh, can maneuver through intersections, can free up drivers to. Um, uh, uh, to to think about other things, uh, actually make the right decisions to know where they are in real time. So it's it's interesting how a a dynamic environment like that of driving a car can be simplified. Now, obviously, uh, you know, being in a in a complex care environment uh, is different than driving a car, but it's it's the same in the sense that it's dynamic. Things are happening in real time. Um, there are predictable patterns that generally govern um, activity that, uh, that over time, uh, if you choose those predictable patterns or take advantage of them, you'll, you'll make better decisions, you'll get there faster, you'll burn less gas, all of those types of things. Uh, maybe you could uh, step back a little bit, Mooted, and talk to us about how you blend the technology with this sense of uh, shared consciousness among all of the caregivers uh, in terms of what they're trying to do, when they're trying to do it, how they're trying to do it, and how the technology and the people together, human and technological capabilities, reinforce one another to really optimize performance, really create an entirely different type of operating paradigm. Absolutely. And I think that we are very much in that phase if you take the analogy of the self-driving car. We are right now still in the phase where probably it's the stick shift and you're trying to create the cruise control and trying to create more context and reduce the load that the person has, probably not all the way to the point of, of the self-driving yet. So really, I, I agree that our goal is much more taking the people and the technology and together creating something much more reliable, much more powerful. So some examples of that, I think, um, I'll give you one example. Um, uh, of that happening. So inpatient length of stay, how much, um, how much time a patient spends in the, in the hospital getting treated is, is a key variable that a lot of health systems focus on. One, it's never good for a patient to stay longer, risk of infection and many other reasons. Two, it's one of the most costliest things you can do for the healthcare system is have the patient stay longer. Um, and especially if you need to increase access to people uh, being able to get and, and be taken care of at a lower cost, that's, that's one thing you need to attack. But it's very, very complex to do that. There's lots and lots of variables. The patient could come in to an emergency department and leave and go home in two hours, or they could come in, get admitted, and then stay a week, four weeks, six weeks, months, 
Um, so lots of variability in there. And um, a best practice that's always been known is we should always be anticipating when the patient's going to leave. But that's really hard. Um, and even if you anticipate, there's often many bottlenecks that can come in place. So in this case, for example, one of the things our system does is it helps bring the entire care team together to surface. Here's when we think this patient is likely to be going home. And do you agree or not? Do you have a different point of view? And based on that, we see that they have this console pending or this MRI pending. And the MRI department is, is the imaging department is very, very bottlenecked. We're going to prioritize this one. So what it's doing is it's taking um, the, the uh, information of the consciousness that perhaps the care team had in this case, that yes, this patient may, uh, may be discharging soon. It was not explicitly perhaps voiced anywhere, but we picked that up by looking at your medication intensity is going down, you move from the ICU to a step-down unit, and by all those things, we can see that there are patterns that you might be someone who might leave soon. But that consciousness historically wouldn't have flown, some to, wouldn't have gone to the MRI department unless someone called them, tracked them down, uh, and, and was able to uh, have that conversation. And as you know, every order everyone places for an MRI is always that. So that, that doesn't give much indication to the department either. And in this case, the system is then looking at that and helping send the message to prioritize and spreading that shared consciousness. So the, so the person in that MRI department, the, 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 the manager or the person doing it knows that if, if I can differentially focus on these patients, I can make a big difference today. And that, you know, creates this, almost this magic where in a distributed way, everyone is making the best decisions they could to, to help the patient advance in the fastest way, in the most safest way. And, and that almost feels magical when that happens at scale. And I think that's the transformation I believe could, could really be meaningful across the healthcare system have done, have done this way. Yeah, do you believe in magic? Uh, yes, yes, we do. Let's dive in a little bit into this concept of, of shared consciousness. And in, in many ways, um, what you're describing is antithetical to decades of managerial systems that have evolved to uh, solve complicated, not complex, complicated problems. And the way to do that was to divide up the tasks, have subgroups do each of those tasks highly efficiently, repeatedly, hand off the process to uh, someone new. And the only people worrying about uh, the overall process, the operations process, are, are the managers or the generals or, or whoever. Um, and that is indicative of a command and control assembly line approach to doing things. And much the, much of the way we uh, practice medicine in this country is still based on that type of segmentation of roles. But what you're describing in shared consciousness is something that's fundamentally different and it in some respects trades off um, efficiency for greater adaptability. So in order to have shared consciousness, there has to be a shared understanding of what the enterprise goals are. How how progress is 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 occurring, whether problems have arisen, um, and could you talk a little bit about this trade-off between efficiency and adaptability, and how you bring that way of thinking about uh, solving complex problems where there is 
dynamic uh, activity in the environment. Uh, there is unpredictability. Just talk about that trade-off a little bit. Yeah, I think like first, I think the point that you're making is really important to realize. The situations that um, where one works better than the other, right? So a situation where most of what's going to happen is known, and you just got to keep doing it again and again. That's where a situation you train someone and you say, don't think. Just every time this object comes in front of you, you pick it up and move move to the left one, right? Like that's the factory style. Um, like you're not you're not thinking as much. You just want to minimize the thinking. You just keep doing the same thing again and again. Um, but that doesn't work very well in, in, when when two things are true. One, it's a complex environment, but an environment that keeps changing, and it's not the exact same thing happening again and again. And it's even more it's even harder when the person who's doing it is the one who's going to have the most context, who's going to have, you know, in the war scenario, I think General McChrystal's team of teams book talks about this, where traditionally the military said, I'm going to have command and control. I'm going to sit here and say, you go and um, uh, repurpose this troops, these troops into this battlefield. Go, um, go left, go right, wherever that might be. That's really, really hard to do in a situation where your enemy is adapting all the time. He talks about how when we fought Al-Qaeda, they are constantly adapting, they're constantly changing, and the most context and information is with the soldier who's out in the front line. So what you can do is you can empower them to execute and create the shared consciousness of the best intelligence that the entirety of the system has. You can adapt all the time. Now, as a result of that, they may not be 100% efficient um, in and if you presented them with a situation of doing the same thing day in, day out, right? So if you took a situation where everyone was able to think and um, execute, depending on the situation they see, they, um, let, let me put it this way. If it's the exact same problem you're saying, say, uh, solving day in, day out, the most efficient way of solving it is to leave no room for uh, decision-making on the front line and to be very command and control, to be very, very prescriptive on that. In healthcare, but in most complex industries, and I would say, I would argue, most of our societal um, uh, problems are becoming a lot more complex in many ways because we solve the simple ones. In that situation, it's much, much harder to do that. And you would need to trade off some efficiency to be able to create the ability for that person on the front line to make their own choices and to be able to adapt. And sometimes when they adapt, they won't be able to adapt the right way. And you have to have that room. You know, 3M for example, the company that often has been looked upon as an example of innovation. And they often talked about creating Slack for their team. Slack in the sense that their teams can imagine and do something differently. And they've, they've been credited with innovations all the way from posted notes to many industrial innovations. And they, they, um, they always believe that that creation of Slack, while it reduced efficiency in the moment, created an ability to innovate and to adapt to the situation in a way that no other company could. And Google adopted that same mindset and methodology with their 20% method as well. Yeah, so that's kind of yeah. efficiency and, and adaptability in some ways. Um, that, yeah, if, you, if 3M's job was just to produce one product again and again, it may not be the most efficient way to do it. But if you believe that that's not our end purpose, then we need to be adapting constantly and innovating constantly. Certainly that's true in healthcare. Um, then you have to create uh, that, the room for that. 
Mudit and I are both uh, big fans of uh, Stanley McChrystal, General Stanley McChrystal's book, Team of Teams. And for those of you who don't know General McChrystal, he was the one that took over um, war operations in Iraq in 2004 when we were actually losing the war. Uh, we were losing the war with the greatest army uh, humankind had ever created. And we were losing the army because we were using a command and control uh, approach to managing the war from, from, a, from a central bunker uh, with orders going back and forth. And the enemy was, as mooted as you were saying, was, was adapting in real time. Uh, there was a, a great example of that. He, he describes a, uh, uh, an army uh, ranger raid to capture a, a person of interest executed flawlessly. They get the person. They collect the evidence, um, which they throw into into garbage bags. Um, they bring it back, drop it off. Their job is done. Uh, someone else takes over interrogation of the uh, prisoner. Someone else takes over reviewing all of the data. It goes back to the United States. Four days later, they come up with a list of people. Um, to go after based on the interrogation and the data review. And lo and behold, they've all disappeared. Um, there's nobody to chase. So by the end of the war, through various uh, managerial changes uh, that McChrystal made, including a gigantic call, worldwide call every day at 9 a.m., with uh, where everybody learned exactly what was going on and what the issues were, and then distributing, as you were saying earlier, decision making to the front line. So then they would they would attack a safe house. Um, they you know some people would get away. The troops on the front line would call in their description. They would send a drone to get a a, a photo of the car or to track the car. Someone else would uh, sort of almost organically emerge to to chase that vehicle down. And it, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's informed, shared consciousness with decentralized decision-making distributed to the front lines, taking the time so that every member of the team knows what's happening, knows what the objectives are, is connected uh, through their teams to other teams that can help out. Everybody's fighting the same battle um, and not getting involved in the turf battles that uh, so often uh, break down organizations. And it's, it's that, uh, that type of shared consciousness that I think will fundamentally change, and I, I know you believe this too, uh, will fundamentally change the way that we do healthcare. I mean, depending on which report you believe, we, we kill as many as 200 to 300,000 people in hospitals every year, far more than die in uh, automobile accidents. And so much of that is a result of the unpredictability and dynamism of things that happen that require immediate response and everybody doing their best but doing it in a siloed, command and controlled way is fundamentally going to create errors that just like letting the, the bad guys get away um, unfortunately result in people either being harmed or in the worst cases dying because of errors in medical practice or medical judgment or um, just not having the right information at the right time to do the right thing. 
Um, why don't we Why don't we bring it back um, now that we have a better understanding uh, of this this concept of shared consciousness, distributed decision making, systems running, information going where it needs to go. Talk to us about what a nursing ward, a a, a care floor, an operating room, but you know various medical environments will look like and five to seven to ten years when the industry is adapted and changed over to this new collective way of of managing complex problems. What, what's that going to look like? And what's the promise for American healthcare that new vision can deliver? Yeah, I mean, I think so often we talk about exactly what you were describing. You know, you described a situation from the book where information existed. It existed somewhere. And if, if the person acting on it right now knew all of that stuff, they would act very differently, right? That happens so often. I, um, I talked to the family as a physician. The family said, we're really concerned about going to this skilled nursing facility. Or no one talked to the family about that, even though I knew that they don't have the means of going to that skilled nursing facility. Um, and these kinds of breakdowns keep happening day in, day out. Because there are a lot of touch points. There are a lot of processes. There's lots of stuff. It's a pretty complex situation to manage. I think that that end state looks like where we are always anticipating, based on what we've seen, what is going on, that, hey, this patient is going to need to go um, to a skilled nursing facility that day. It doesn't require, again, a really excellent manager who has talked to four or five different people for them to realize that. The system surfaces that insight for them, like, Hey, we've seen, uh, based on what we've seen, this family will need to go to that uh, to a skilled nursing facility and to give them two, three, four days of heads up so that they can get prepared for that is going to be very beneficial. And that automatically comes to them. It doesn't, I don't have to wait for that. Like today what I've seen, for example, when we do rounds is, oh, we talked to the family today that they need to go to a SNF and they don't have the time, they don't, they don't have the time and energy to get, know if this is the right SNF and they need three days and we now lost three days, both in that patient being in the wrong care setting, but also we sort of put undue stress on that on that um, on that family. I think that simplifies that if we can bring that shared consciousness across, it simplifies the lives of our front lines. It simplifies the, the 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 patients and their experience. And at the same time, while simplifying all the complexity, it's going to make sure that the most efficient path, the most highly high quality path, is happening all the time. And that every aspect of our delivery of care is, is highly process driven. And we can do that across the board. We can have that kind of insight flow by directionally across the board. So when you have a new manager step in, when you have a new physician step in, they have the most context, they can make the best decisions, and they can do so without requiring a massive heroic effort on their part. And we stop we start eliminating all of those things that slip through the cracks because I didn't realize that you'd already collected that evidence and you'd already seen the sign and I didn't see that sign, so I made the wrong decision. That, I think, um, if, if we can do that and if we can, through that, enable each frontline person to focus their energy on the, on the things that are not automatable, the, the time with the patient, the delivery of the care, the, the human connection, I think that, that for me as a patient, that would be, an, that would be the best healthcare system that would be what I would want, and that would that would be what I would want every family member, every uh, my kids to have um, uh, available to them anytime they they needed it. So that's that's what I feel like we can get to, um, and it won't come from top-down solutions. It will come from 
complete empowerment on the front line and shared consciousness automatically spreading to the front lines when needed. As you're describing that, it, it's it's reminding me of one of the things that always impressed me about Star Trek is how calm everybody is all the time. You know, they're flying through space. There's asteroids. There's all kinds of stuff going on. But um, the machines are providing the information. Everybody knows what's going on. Um, and I, that's how I envision healthcare can be too, that the, the environment can be calm. Uh, obviously, real, uh, real emergencies occur, but the system – uh, kind of anticipates their coming and begins to lean in and, and provide the right information. Um, you know, you're not going to be looking at dashboards. You're going to be getting texts that say, hey, um, you may want to check in on uh, Bob Smith in, in room 41. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that comes with, with being calm, as you were saying, is – is more time with with patients. We we get out of it's in a funny way the uh, the technology enables more human connection when done the right way, uh, not the opposite. It's it, it allows people to be more empathetic and in the moment and and uh, and connected, engaged. Um, so react to that, but then also talk a little bit, mooted about. What are the what are the obstacles you're confronting? You know some of the current data systems and sort of entrenched uh, practices that, um, and I know you're making great headway in many of the best uh, institutions in the country, but you could be making even more, but you, but for some obstacles. So talk a little bit about the vision again, as 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 you're about to, but then also bring it back to some discussion of the obstacles. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say two things for that. One, I think. Um um, what I would first say, like a lot of our early learnings were exactly that. You know, the first, um, at first, my my bias was perhaps we can give a way of giving shared consciousness is just giving data to people, and perhaps I can give them a dashboard or a report or something, and they'll be able to understand what to do with it. The problem with that approach, very quickly, I learned was that depends on having a tremendous amount of time and capacity to absorb, and also then it, even if you did that, it takes a while to absorb and figure out what to do. So we, we saw as much as you, everyone loved giving more dashboards and reports and graphs to people, on the fourth barriers we saw was no one had time to log in. You would just find people not logging in, and, and my first reaction was like, why aren't you logging in? It's so important to your business. It's so important to the people you're taking care of. And then I realized like, when I get busy, I don't have time to log into those things either, and I am I love data. I love looking into it. And if, I, if I'm not doing that, then how can I expect that? You know, the next thing, um, oftentimes, uh, the next thing, we talked to a lot of health system leaders in 2012, 13, and asked, like, what makes it so hard in healthcare? And they talked about, hey, look, half my patients are unscheduled. What resources the patient needs is unknown. It's like an air traffic control, but it's an air traffic control where I have no idea how many planes will come. It could be a twin propeller or it could be a big 787. I just have to look out the window and figure out when they are coming and somehow manage to land them safely and efficiently. That's really hard. If you can predict that, that would help. And um, we background machine learning. We used it. We started predicting it. But I also realized like, that alone is not enough. You're actually increasing the cognitive load on the person in the front lines by just telling them 30% chance this, 40% chance that. So... Um, one of the biggest things, I think, if you look at it, like, our, I tell the team, like, our job is not to predict. Our job is not to just predict, but actually predict 
think through the options that might be present, look at the cost benefit of those options, and really prescribe a solution and do it in a way that the person at the end of the day who's going to need to act on it is persuaded to take action. That predicting, prescribing, and persuading, the combination of those is very, very, very important. And for us, as we look at um, going forward, to keep enabling this shared consciousness and activation of the right levels. First thing the system needs to do to be able to recommend something, to be able to understand what might happen, is capture the context of the environment, right? What a good manager does is they look around and they understand things are going to get bad or something's going to be happening now. The system's way of doing that is using the source of truth from systems of record, your EMR systems, your billing systems, your imaging systems, and that's what it can process the context from. The good news is as time goes on, we're going to keep getting more and more of the context go from analog to digital. So more of that is going to get captured through cameras, through sensors, through other, other devices. But today, the way that's captured is, again, through workflow on the backs of nurses and doctors entering it. And some of it is, as a result, the data is not always reliable. As a result, it's messy. As a result, uh, it's unstructured. And unfortunately, some of the systems that capture it aren't the friendliest in getting that data, that context in and out. And as a result of that, sometimes what this, the context the system's operating under can be limited. So one of the very critical things for our system is to be able to handle the messy data, is to be able to um, handle different types of sources, is to be able to um, uh, be resilient to when the data looks very different than what we expected. And that, I think, is a set of infrastructure we've had to build to solve that problem, which is a pretty meaningful problem that holds, I think, a lot of the lot of the health IT ecosystem back. Well, I, it, I'm listening to you, and, and Qventus um, doesn't do uh, clinical optimization. It's really, at, at this point, maybe will at some point in the future, uh, but it really focuses on just the operational mechanics of, of moving patients around, scheduling tests, and so on and so forth, uh, which, which again, involves a lot of patient interaction but isn't, isn't purely clinical. Uh, the reason I mention that is um, I was on the visiting committee at, at Harvard Medical School for six years, and toward the end of my tenure, um, the school started doing curriculum change. And surprisingly, it wasn't coming – the need for – or the demand for curriculum change wasn't coming from uh, the faculty. They were, they were perfectly happy with uh, uh, new pathways from, from 1984. It was coming from the medical students who were saying things like, um, I carry a smartphone with me. What do I need to memorize really and what can I just look up? When I have two items that both could – treat a condition and one costs more than the other, how do I decide which one to use? What does it mean to be part of a team in a caregiving process? What is compassion in a highly technical environment? Um, and I feel like those are exactly the same types of questions you're trying to ask and answer on behalf of, of frontline caregivers, uh, nurses, uh, clinicians, technicians, and so on which is how can my life be easier by paying attention to the things I actually need to pay attention to and letting systems guide the things that systems can do so that I can use more of my bandwidth, go back to where we started, um, in, in engaging with patients and understanding where they are, helping encourage them, be in the moment, um, 
uh, and and help them heal in the in the ways that that people heal through connection as much as through through uh, medical delivery. So respond to that and and any sort of last observations or thought mooted on what what we're describing as a technology company, but what we're really doing is enabling human beings to be more human. Absolutely, I think at the end of the day. Success in many ways of, of, um, of technology and AI lies in enabling every one of the people who um, deliver care to offer it at the top of their license. And the way to do that is exactly that. Reduce the cognitive load, provide them the best consciousness, the shared consciousness, help them make the best decisions. And in doing so, um, actually bring that calm to the environment. And I think if we do that, we've seen in, uh, in many of the institutions we work with you can deliver amazing outcomes, things that would feel uh, previously would have felt like needed heroic effort from the whole team and created the risk of them burning out. You can, you can create a reliable, repeatable way of delivering those outcomes. And for us, like, that's what's super exciting is, is not just the technology, it's the operationalization of the machine learning, the operationalization of, that, uh, of our product into the workflows, working with the staff, helping them see it, and then seeing the outcomes follow from that is the most exciting part of it. And I think we're just scratching the surface. We, you know, um, that ability to um, bring that down, bring that shared consciousness, allowing the frontline-driven uh, action is possible in every aspect of delivery of care. And we've just scratched the surface of that in terms of what we can do. Um, I'm really, really excited to see that happen across every aspect of delivery. How patients' experience is, how... Um, uh, how patients come and go, how they are told and given instructions, um, how they might be, how their expectations are set, uh, how the imaging departments run, how the outpatient clinics run, how surgery centers run, how we do billing, every aspect of it. And I think we can we can improve all of that without increasing costs, while giving a higher quality, and also without burning our people out. That's that's wonderful. You know, I can hear the enthusiasm in your voice. And I'm sure our audience can too. Um, unfortunately, uh, Mudit, very early in the conversation, you use the the line "magic," and I've had the John Sebastian song "Do You Believe in Magic" going through my head the entire time we've been talking. But uh, somehow, I think that's um, uh, that's a, that's a great place to end. I mean. Uh, ATM machines, when they first came out, really felt like magic. Certainly self-driving cars often feel like magic. What you're describing, uh, this new vision for hospital operations, um, clinical operations, and so on, almost almost seems like magic, but it's not. It's, uh, it's bringing the best of human capabilities together with technological capabilities and, and really creating magic. So – uh, Mudit, I want to thank you so much for, for being a, a, a willing uh, participant and, and converser in, in Market Corner Conversations. This has been a, a phenomenal discussion. And I asked you before you came on the air um, how many dragons you'd slayed today. But uh, Mudit is slaying more dragons on a daily basis than just about anybody I know. And we need uh, people like Mudit and companies like Qventus to keep pushing the medical system to think differently about how it does operations and really builds uh, systems around patients that um, that with this shared consciousness that that deliver that deliver the goods that uh, create the magic. So Mudit, thanks so much, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a fun conversation. 
If you're frustrated with healthcare, if you want to understand how the system is reinventing itself through relentless bottom-up market-driven reform, please subscribe to our podcast at foresighthealth.com. Be a rebel with a cause. Help us fix American healthcare. Until next time, this is Dave Johnson.